0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message.
1: Would uh, Would you turn with me to First Corinthians chapter 11? Uh, once again, this morning for the scripture reading, uh, chapter 11 of First Corinthians. Uh, We'll start in verse 17 and read down through 34. So, verse 17 of chapter 11, we'll read through the end of the chapter in 1 Corinthians. Would you stand? But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I will give directions when I come.
0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word and Lord. um, We ask as we approach it now, looking for understanding um, that you grant that we are able to do that, uh, enlighten our minds. Lord, this is your truth. Father, we want to grasp it rightly so that we can apply it rightly. So we pray, Lord, give us the sense of it. Show us what it means. Show us how it applies in our own situation, in our own church family. Lord, use it to further our sanctification, we pray. So that we are more and more committed as individuals to the edification of the body. To the edification of one another. And through that, Lord, uh, so that our commitment would grow. Our commitment to Your glory, to living for Your praise, Your honor, Your glory. And so that Your name may be made known throughout the world. We ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> one, uh, one announcement that I definitely neglected earlier was uh, the kids' play tonight. So, definitely want to encourage you to be here for that. Um, we're going to do that uh, skit um, at the beginning of the service this evening, six o'clock. So, uh, please be here for that. They've been working hard on that. And, Michael worked yesterday doing body repair to the to the bus back there, so so getting it ready to go and just gotta pull the bus into the auditorium now so for the play tonight. So <laughs> all right. So y'all be here for that. The kids skit tonight at six o'clock. And also as I mentioned earlier, uh, Danny will be bringing the message tonight. So hope you can be here for that. Okay, so this morning, um, of course, we're looking at the passage that Zachary just read, and by the way, appreciate that Zachary, and, and uh, appreciate uh, Michael. Good song, great song, uh, well done. And we're gonna, um, we're gonna. Uh, here's what I want to do. We 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 recently discussed just a couple of weeks ago the nature of the Lord's Supper, and I tried to go into some detail there because we did that because back in in uh, chapter 8 and and, uh, and then in chapter 10 Paul is dealing with liberties quote unquote that the Corinthians are taking and and um, without going into a great deal of, of detail here they're participating in sacrificial feast of pagan gods and so we, we had to kind of go into the nature of that you know why is that important um, why is it Why does it matter that they they would go in and and, uh, participate in in, uh, those sacrifices and partaking of the meat offered to idols? And why is it considered idolatry specifically? If the meat itself is nothing but meat, why was all that considered idolatry? So we dealt with that. And in doing that, what I tried to do was was draw a contrast or actually some parallels between uh, those pagan feasts and, and the Lord's Supper. And I just mean parallels in meaning. In other words, there's some symbolism there that really does signify a reality. So I'm just going to briefly touch on that this morning. I'll try to recap a little bit. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll make mention of it. But, but primarily, what I want to do is, is focus in on Paul's warning here uh, to those who partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. That's Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. All right, that's a that's a uh, uh, severe warning, as as we're going to see, and and I, I want to try to communicate what I think is the, the sense of that. I, th- I think there's been some a lot of misunderstanding here um, on, on this passage, and and um, and then, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago concerning the Lord's Supper itself, just, just not a lack of realization of how important the Lord's Supper is. And so that, that ought to be one thing. This, the nature of Paul's warning there, how, how strong it is, how severe it is, ought to be one thing that, that tells us how important the Lord's Supper is in Christian gathering in general. So we're going to work down to that. I'm just going to go through... Uh, some of these passages here, and like I say, uh, maybe talk a little bit more about the the nature of the meal, but more briefly than we did a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, verse 17, Paul picks up where where we left off last week. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Now that now he's right there has you can tell has verse two in mind. If you look back there, he says. In verse 2, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions. And I, I talked about that last week. It, it seems to me like he's saying, you know, you're doing certain things. Probably one of the things he has in mind here is, is the observance of the Lord's Supper. You see, you're doing certain things, certain traditions that you got from me that I passed on to you. And I'm commending you for doing them, although, as we've already seen and continue to see, um, they're doing a lot of things in a lot of wrong ways. So he's not, he's not commending everything we're going to see as we go through this passage today. He's certainly not commending some of their behavior. But he, he's just saying, you know, you've, you have kept, in some sense, the traditions that I've handed to you. And I commend you for that. But, now he says in verse 17, In the following instructions, I do not... Commend you. Now, literally, literally, it's just this, but this. Now, so, so, some want to say it's referring back to what he's just previously talked about, about the, the head covering. Um, and we dealt with that last Sunday night. And I think really what he has in view there is subjection of the women. Uh, some of them were, um, were uh, you know, exerting themselves in an inappropriate way. Um, Just not being in subjection and submission to their husbands. And so Paul is correcting that um, in verses 2 through 16. Now in verse 17, this I I do not commend you. He either has that in view, everything he's just said, or what he's about to say, which is the way ESV is translated, um, as I just read. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. And certainly we're going to see. He does not commend them for their behavior concerning the Lord's Supper. So now, here he begins to um, expound on that. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Now, that that phrase, come together, is going to be used more than once here. It it is uh, important because what he's talking about is the assembly, what we call church. When When you come together as a congregation... so. You might say, public worship. So, it's, it's, it's very interesting here. It's, it's another anomaly or another paradox or really a contradiction when you think of selfish worship. And that seems to be what, what Paul is addressing here. He's saying, in the midst of your public worship, when what is supposed to be worship, let's say it that way, in the midst of your public worship, your public gathering as the body of Christ, you are behaving in a very selfish, self-centered manner. Now, that's what he's going to re- rebuke them for. That's, that's why he says, I, I don't commend you in this. That is, that, that you're behaving this way. Now, that's kind of strange, isn't it? But we've already seen stranger things, haven't we? Take, going on in the Corinthian church. A lot of things that, you, that we read as we move through here, and you just think, how could Christians do this? Um, well, we're all sinners, and we still struggle daily with our sin. But uh, the reason passages like this are given to us is so that we don't continue, so that we don't just think, well, you know, this is accepted, this is, this is the norm, this is the way it's going to be no matter what. No, He's, he's exhorting them to repentance, and us as well by implication. So, He says, because when you come together, that is, as a church body, as a congregation, it is not for the better, but for the worst. Interesting phrase, too. It's not for the better. I think that's an indictment. He's saying you're not not coming together for the better, which ought to be your motivation, which ought to be what you have in mind. He's saying, but that's not the reality. You're not coming together for the better. You're coming together for the worst. Now, how does that play out in verse 18? For in the first place, when you come together as a church, again, notice that, as a church, that's the, that's the term uh, ecclesia that's often translated church, but again, literally, it just, it just means assembly. So when you come together as a congregation, I hear that there are divisions among you. You may remember that. We talked about that in chapter one. We talked about that in chapter three. This is this is one of the primary problems going on among the Corinthian church in, in their midst. And I and I've noted back then that the that the term here, schismata, where we get our word schism or um, you know, schizoid, <laughs> you know, somebody schizophrenic. Uh, there's a, a division, or, or literally the term means like a rent, a tear in a cloth. So the idea here is, I think, like sects or factions or cliques. We use the term cliques. You've you got within the congregation, you've got you know bodies forming. Um, some of it's based upon uh, their their. Their status, social status, we're going to see that. You know, in other words, the rich versus the poor. Some of it's uh, personality-driven uh, following of, of leaders. You know, some say I'm of Paul, some say I'm of Paulus, some say I'm of Cephas. So there are these cliques, these sex, sects, sects are divisions, schisms in the church, and Paul says I'm. I hear about this and I believe it in part," he says, verse nineteen. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. I mean, just about every phrase you, you go through here is just—it's just interesting what he says and what he, the way he phrases it. Um, probably there. Um, you, I mean, I was wondering, you know, as I looked at this, I'm, I think—is mean, that kind of a sarcastic? You know, you—you—you've got. It's a possibility. You, so you've got clicks among you, Paul says, so that some of you can show yourselves to be genuine. You can show yourselves to be more authentic, more genuine than the others. Is that is that what it's about? Or maybe he's, he's just making a statement saying this is necessary so that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. In other words, you're going to emerge as genuine when the others are shown to be false. So it's kind of like what you have in... In, uh, in 1 John, you know, they th- those who are false, they went out from among us because they were not of us, John says. So, in other words, in time, it manifests the difference between true believers and, and uh, those who are fake or pretenders, hypocrites. That that may be what's in view here. And maybe Paul is saying um, it's necessary, verse 19, it, it, it must be. Maybe he's just meaning this is one way God... Purges. This is one one way God does his work of showing who is genuine. That's a possibility as well. Either way, he says it must be. There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, now just gonna give begin to lay out instruction here. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. So, so there's a, 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 another part of the indictment. He's, he's giving some specifics about what they do. When you come together, there's that, that phrase again come together. That is, you come together as a body, as the congregation. It is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. And I think that's a way of him saying, you know, you're you're not doing what you're really supposed to be there to do. You're doing something that is a counterfeit, a disingenuous. And here's why. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. Now, now, note that, because we're talking here about the Lord's Supper, but then Paul says, each one goes ahead with his own meal. So what's taking place here is an actual meal, not just the... The bread and the wine, like we think of it today, um, there was a, a, a tradition in the early church called uh, the love feast, agape feast, the Greek term agape, um, and some believe this is the way that the, the Lord's Supper was observed. In other words, you, you had this this feast, uh, or all the congregation came together and they ate a literal meal together, uh, and the idea, of course, would be that they were they were. Following the tradition, the Passover tradition, when when the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, it was during the Passover meal. Remember, Passover meal uh, commemorates the the Jews being delivered from the bondage of Egypt, and that was a perpetual uh, command, or to do it year by year, once a year, partake of the Passover. It was during that meal, during that uh, special commemoration, that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper it was at the end of the Passover meal so possibly the early Christians continued to do that that seems to be the case here the early Christians continued to do that they came together had a meal and during that meal what we call what we know as the Lord's Supper was uh, was observed they they would break the bread pass it around everybody partake of the bread and then at the end of the meal they would take the cup of wine and drink from it um, in observance of the Lord's Supper, but Paul's saying the problem is um, w- what you're really doing is is not is not right. It's not what we're instructed to do. Here's here's what's happening with the Corinthians. It's, it's more just like a just a feast feast. They come together, Everybody's selfishly consuming um, for their own pleasure, and and I I think maybe. Uh, again, what they're, what they're doing here is what they're, they're seeing the world do. I mean, they may be doing it in the name of following the tradition of Passover and all that and keeping the Lord's Supper, but it sounds like, by what Paul's describing here, what's really playing out is more like what's going on in the pagan temples the sacrificial feast that took place in the pagan temples. So it was all about um, just fleshly pleasure and debauchery, sexual immorality, and that kind of thing. So Paul says, here's what happens when you get together supposedly for the Lord's Supper. In eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. You're not, you're not waiting on one another, um, which is he goes on to say um, is what should be happening in verse 33. When you come together to eat, wait. For one another, they say that's not what's happening here. In eating, each one goes on ahead with his own meal. One gets hungry, another gets drunk. Now, I tend to take that literally. You know, there were there were very poor people in those days, and and, and you had a mix in the in the church. Some very very poor, some well off. Um, So that's probably exactly what he has in view. There are literally some people there hungry, while these others are gorging themselves and possibly literally getting drunk. Again, uh, mimicking what they see in the pagan feast. And so Paul is rebuking them for this. At at least this, if if he's using hyperbole here, which again I don't suspect is the case, but if, if he's using hyperbole here... Just to draw some uh, extreme, uh, an extreme contrast, he's at least saying, look, some of you are poor. And some of you are you know, fat and satisfied in a fleshly sense. And you're not, you're not caring for each other. You come together for the Lord's Supper. And some of you are going on ahead and eating and gorging yourself and getting drunk. While there's actually other brothers and sisters among you who are hungry. And so this quote-unquote worship, act of worship, strange as it sound, sounds, is, is, is carried out in a, in a very selfish manner. Now, we, we've, been, we've been discussing this principle all the way through this book, and uh, it it's actually runs all the way through the Bible. And that's why that's why I refer to these two things a lot of times. Our 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 purpose in being is number one for the glory of God, right? And secondly for the well being of others. And so Paul is hammering this home by example. Bad example. You know, you're not doing this. You're not caring for one another. Remember when he was addressing those who are um, who are claiming liberty and, and just taking liberty at the expense of the conscience of the weaker brothers and sisters. He was rebuking them because in their the exercise of their quote unquote liberty, they were doing damage to the conscience of weaker brothers and sisters. So they weren't caring for one another, and that's the same thing in principle that's happening here. It's just playing out a different way. You're coming together. You're, you're not you're not coming together for the better. You're not interested in the well-being of your brother and sister and the Lord, you're not interested in edifying them. You're just interested in a free meal and getting as much in you as you can in food and drink. And so if you just kind of picture, I mean, by what Paul says here, you, you, you eat and you go on and eat and you don't wait on each other and all of this is in the context of what is supposed to be the Lord's Supper, then even the elements that represent the body and blood of Christ, it would appear they're, they're just partaking of in their own timing as they go through You know, just getting full and eating the bread and drinking the wine. So, there's not any real um, togetherness, for lack of a better term, in this gathering. In other words, they're not coming together as a congregation and together eating the bread and together drinking the wine. They're just there doing their own thing in their own little cliques without concern for brothers and sisters. So he says in verse 22, this is what you do. You come together and you, and you eat this way. You're not waiting on the others. And, and he's expressing uh, shock here. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, in other words, you can do that stuff at home. You can gorge yourself at home. When you come together as a congregation, you're you're there for the purpose of worship, worship to God and edification of one another. So, what do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? He's he's they're kind of directing those who. Or better off and saying, you know, you're humiliating the poor by what you're doing. They're going hungry. You're getting full and drunk. In essence, what you're doing is despising God's congregation, God's assembly, God's church. And you're humiliating the poor. But what shall I say to you? He says, shall I commend you in this? No. I will not. Now, Paul gives um, what was given to him by the Lord concerning the the, the, the nature of the Lord's Supper and, and instruction for it in verse 23. But keep those things in your mind. How, how they are abusing abusing this um, this particular practice, this ordinance, and not loving one another when they come together to observe it. Again I, I said earlier that Paul's hammering this home this this is where he's going we're going to, we're going to eventually get to chapter 13 right where he he lays out what love looks like and all of these examples of their faults he's showing what it means he's exposing what it means to not love one another so that's the same thing happening here all right verse 23 he he goes to the to the uh, the observance of the Lord's supper and the nature of it Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, he's giving them the real picture, the right picture of it. And reminding them of the importance of it. And how it ought to be uh, be observed in humility, and with sobriety. Because it is designed to remind us of something central to our faith, central to our salvation, and to remind us to look forward to something as well. So he says, here's what the Lord gave me, which I also delivered to you. Again, I think this is one of the traditions he has in view. In verse 2, when he says, I commend you because you remember me in every." Thing and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. And he says, I received this from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus and by the way, notice he says, I received this from the Lord. The Lord Jesus gave Paul what, what we have here in verses twenty-three through twenty-six. He didn't get this second hand. Interesting. Um, so evidently in 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 um, Part of the discussion in the Lord's appearance to Paul, appearances to Paul, um, he communicated this part of the revelation that was given to Paul personally: the nature and the meaning of the Lord's supper. So Paul reminds them, Jesus, the same night he was betrayed, remember that, the night of his betrayal, as they sat around observing the Passover meal, Jesus took the bread and said, "This is my body." The bread of the Passover meal. This is my body, which is broken for you. And they all ate of it. And he commanded them, and again, by implication, us. He commanded us, do this in remembrance of me. That's kind of a two part command, isn't it? First part is do it. It's commanded by the Lord. To partake of the Lord's Supper for a Christian is an act of obedience, like baptism. Do this. Do this, the Lord says to His disciples. Do this in remembrance of Me. You do it. And as often as you do it, so he assumes it's going to be, it's not just a one-time occasion. It's, again, going to be a perpetual observance. Now, he doesn't tell us exactly how often, weekly, monthly, quarterly. He doesn't tell us how often to do it, but he says, as often, again, indicating more than once, as often as you do this, it is a regular observance of a believer in obedience to Jesus Christ. And the second part of that command is, of course, do it in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. So he's reminding the Corinthians, that is, Paul is reminding the Corinthians. That the Lord's Supper is a, is a solemn observance in remembrance of Christ and what Christ has done for us. He's going to go on to say, it shows, it demonstrates, it puts, sets forth, shows the Lord's death until He comes. So Jesus broke the bread and said, do this as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of Me. Verse 25, in the same way He also took the cup, that is, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. In my blood. By the way, both times, um, he's he's talking symbolically. It is representative of. The bread represents the body of Christ. The cup represents the new covenant in the blood of Christ. And of course, in my blood is a reference to His death. So the, the cup represents... The new covenant in the death of Christ, or established in the death of Christ, ratified in the death of Christ. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. There it is again. Do this. As often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. So again, the Two-fold commandment. First of all, do it. The implication? Be faithful to do it. Why? For your good. To help you remember and to help you look forward to. Remember His sacrificial death, His work for us on our behalf at Calvary, and look forward to His coming. So He says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And there's the second part again. You do it. First of all, and secondly, you do it in remembrance of Christ. You see what Paul's doing is communicating the nature of it. It represents the body and blood of Christ and the importance of it. It is a commemoration of Christ Himself. You do this in remembrance of Christ. And as often as you do it, verse 26 says, And again, this is another point in in regard to the importance of it. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, it's a kind of testimony for the Christian. You know, I always think of, and I've taught, um, that baptism is, is is a testimony. It's a public testimony of obedience to the Lord. So, it is a person getting up before... A congregation, or you know, maybe even more than a congregation. Sometimes it's done in, in public places. So it is a person getting up publicly and professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only in their words. I mean, they do most of the time when people are baptized, they will say something, you know, about their uh, "I was saved," um, you know, whenever and how the Lord um, brought them to Himself. But in the very act, it is a public proclamation. The very act of being baptized in obedience to the Lord is a public proclamation itself of identification with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so similarly with the Lord's Supper, the Lord says, you do it in remembrance of me. And Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until He comes. It is a testimony regarding the finished work of Christ. And again, two parts here. It's a remembrance of Him. Remembering what He's done. It's a proclamation of the Lord's death. His sacrificial death for His people. Until He comes. So it is also a, a looking forward to His coming. It's a reminder of what He has done. And a reminder of what He's going to do. It's a looking back. At the gracious work of God in Jesus Christ for us, and it is a looking forward to His second appearing. Well, <laughs> I tell you what, it's good to be reminded of that, isn't it? When you when you face daily struggles and trials, and you know your your own sin, you, know, you get we have struggles and and, uh, and um, hardships, trials attacking us from without. And then we've got our own corruption causing us trouble from within. And that's, that's daily in the life of the Christian. Minute by minute, we're dealing with these things. And how good it is, how sweet it is to be reminded that Jesus is coming. How good it is to be reminded of both of these things, right? I mean, when, when my sin is uh, in some, some way brought to my attention... To be reminded of Christ's death on the cross for me, that He laid down His life so that I will not perish, but have everlasting life. To be reminded of that. To be reminded of His righteousness that achieved reconciliation for me because I have none of my own. And to be reminded that all the trouble that we go through in this life, I I preached a a funeral uh, a week and a half ago. And I used Job fourteen as the text. You know, man, who is born of woman, is a few days, and full of trouble. How profound is that? What a summation of human life! You say, "Well, that's a pretty pessimistic view." <laughs> well, it's just brutally honest, and the Bible is brutally honest with our condition and with the condition of the world. But you know what? It's temporary. That's one reason it's good to be reminded. When we take of the bread, and when we take of the cup, we're reminded, this proclaims, shows forth the Lord's death, till He comes. He's coming again. So we're reminded He's coming. So even Job, with all of the trouble that came into his life, and he's sitting in ashes, scraping himself with broken pottery, even Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives And He will stand at that day, and I shall see Him in my flesh. It's temporary. It's temporary. So it's good. It's good to be reminded that Christ died for us. It's good to be reminded that Christ is coming again. It's good to proclaim it publicly. And partaking of the Lord's Supper is one way in which the believer is commanded to do those things. Now, here comes the warning. i have already had you know, the indictment laid out in those first few verses, uh, roughly um, 17 through 19. <coughs> uh, I'm sorry, it was further than that, um, 17 through 22. And then the description of the Lord's Supper, the way it's supposed to be, the nature of it and how it was given to Paul by the Lord himself, And now he's reminded them of these things. He's indicted them for what they're doing, for their own selfishness. And he's told them what it's supposed to be and what it represents. And now he issues a warning in verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. The King James says sleep there, um, which is a literal translation, but Paul's using that as a as a euphemism, he means died, dead. Jesus did that with Lazarus too. You know, he said, he's sleeping, and the disciples, um, like I am, you know, they were slow, they're slow, slow to get things. And the Lord, um, well, if he's sleeping, he'll do well, you know, let's leave him alone. And so Jesus, <laughs> John says, Jesus, put it plainly, he's dead. He's dead. So, Paul's using sleep as a euphemism, but he means that he died, and that's why it's translated this way in the ESV. So, some of you have died because of this sin, this um, misbehavior, he says. And he goes on in verse 32. I'm sorry, verse 31. But if we judged ourselves truly, or if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together, eat, to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Now, here's what I wanted to focus in on in the uh, the remaining minutes that we have. This warning and the nature of this warning. What is it exactly that Paul means in verse 27? Um, again, I don't I don't have the King James in front of me, but it but it uses the word unworthily here. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, this is what I was getting to earlier. I think there's been a lot of misunderstanding in a couple of different directions here. And so I want to just kind of uh, throw this out to you and get, give it to you to mull over it and consider it um, in light of the context here. First of all, let me say what I think Paul is not saying. He's not saying that you yourself somehow have to be worthy in order to partake of the bread and the wine, that is, observe the Lord's Supper. Now, I think when a lot of people, when they see that term unworthily, In the older translations, that that's exactly what they they think of. Wow. Some are doing this unworthily and are being judged as a result. So that Paul says, this is why some of you are weak and sick, and some of you have even died. Which that is, in fact, true, by the way, but we'll come back to that in a moment. Some of you have even died. For eating and drinking, for partaking of the Lord's supper, unworthily. And people think that means, you know, well, I, I was unworthy. I've got some unconfessed sin. I've got whatever, you know, I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy to participate in this act of worship. And if I do it, I'm risking getting weak, sick, or even death. And I have known people who would not partake of the Lord's Supper for that reason. They don't show up those Sundays or they just make sure they don't, they don't get it for that reason. I mean, I've had them tell me that. Well, I'm, I, can't, you know, I can't do it because I'm, I'm unworthy. To which, you know, in the times that, that's, that I've had that discussion, I've tried to respond uh, Seriously, you know, in a, in a uh, uh, loving way by saying, of course, you know, of course you're not worthy. And neither am I. And neither is nobody, you know, anybody else in that room. Nobody's worthy. This, this is not, Paul is not saying this. The Holy Spirit, I think, is not giving this text to us to discourage us from partaking of the Lord's Supper. Jesus commanded it. Do this. Do this. It is commanded that we do this. Every Christian ought to be highly concerned with partaking of the Lord's Supper regularly. Regularly. It's commanded. And again, we went over that and some of the reasons for that a couple weeks ago, so I won't take time to go over all of that now, except just to say... um, that there is a real participation there of uh, in communion. You go back and read chapters 10 and you'll see where Paul talks about it. And also, it's just simply commanded by the Lord. So it'd be sort of like if somebody said, Well, you know, I don't think baptism is all that needful. It doesn't save you, does it? I would say, Well, no, it doesn't save you, but it was commanded. <laughs> the Lord said do it. So we do it in obedience. And it's similarly here. So the Lord commands it. I don't think Paul is discouraging it. I don't think that's the intention of the Holy Spirit here. You know, examine yourself. Watch out. In other words, play it safe. If you're unworthy, don't do it. I don't think that's what he's saying. What is he saying? Now, this is where I really appreciate some of the newer translations here in getting this One was one word in the Greek. It's translated... As a phrase here in the ESV, <clears throat> and it reads this way: Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner—see, the question is not whether you or, or I are worthy. The, the question is what the issue Paul is raising is: Are you observing the Lord's Supper? Not unworthily, meaning that you're unworthy or, or not, uh, but are you observing the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? It's, it's behavior-oriented, just like all of this has been. you got incest in the church. You've got Christians going to temple prostitutes. You've got Christians eating meat offered to idols, apparently in the actual pagan feast that they're participating in. All of this immorality that Paul is listening and dealing with, it's behavioral, it's behavior-oriented. Damaging the weaker brothers and sisters in Christ, which was the bigger issue in eating the meat offered to idols. Are in this first part of this chapter, women who refuse to be in subjection to their husbands. It's a behavioral issue. It's a manifestation of pride. It's a manifestation of selfishness, as all of these things are. Right? I mean, why would somebody commit incest? Why would somebody go to a temple prostitute? Why would somebody participate in pagan idolatry? Why would somebody do things at the expense of their weaker brothers and sisters in Christ? Why would a woman not be in subjection to her husband? Why would a man not fulfill the role of head in his household? All of these things are manifestations of selfish. Pride, just just living for selfishness or living in selfish ways. Now, let's back up for a minute here before we before we finish here. Look at Paul's description again in verse 18. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, here it goes. Verse 20. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate? Those who have nothing. That's what's taking place. That's the behavior that Paul is referring to. And I think that's what he has in mind when you get down to verse 27. And he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, verse 28. So let a person examine himself in regard to your manner, your behavior. Now, again, specifically, your, your attitude toward one another. Are you here for the better? Are you here for the worse? Are you here to edify? Or are you here for some selfish reason? Are you here to worship by observing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper? Or are you here to get full and drunk? Do you care about whether your brother... Our sister in the Lord is eating and getting full. Are you observing this meal together, waiting for one another, or are you going ahead with your own meal? Do you see? That's that's what he's describing as being wrong. That's what he's complaining about. That's the unworthy manner. In other words, your activity... Which seems to be more of a of a reflection of, of a pagan idolatry, you know, the feasts that go on in the temple. That kind of behavior, that kind of quote unquote worship, that kind of selfishness, Paul is saying, is unworthy of the Lord's supper. In other words, you're, you're saying you're doing the Lord's supper, but you're doing it in an unworthy manner. For anyone, verse twenty-nine. I'm sorry, verse twenty-eight. Let a person examine himself then, and so let him eat of the bread and drink the cup. Notice he says, examine yourself, and then go ahead and eat and drink. In other words, he's calling for correction. Again, he's not he's not trying to discourage anybody from eating and drinking. He wants you to eat and drink, participate in the Lord's supper, just wants it done right as a commemoration of the Lord's death and a looking forward to His. Coming again. So he says, again in verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, Real quick, I, I want to be careful. I always try, try to be careful when, when dealing with passages like this. I, I don't want to spiritualize something that's not intended to be spiritualized. You know, kind of overdo it that way. Uh, Allegorize. <clears throat> but I think, in the context, this makes sense. And let me say it in the form of a question. What, what, what does the, A couple of questions. What does the bread in the Lord's Supper represent? Body of Christ, right? A little hesitancy there. It's not, not, not trick. You know, we're not, we're not, you know, no buzzers or anything like that. All right. The body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? The church, right? The Church. What has Paul been talking about here? The church, the assembly, the congregation. The the bread represents the body. The body of Christ, literally, fleshly, yes, also, you know, the, in other words, His body that was, that, that was beaten, His body that was crucified. But we also know, again, that the church is the body of Christ. So there's, again, symbolism there. In other words, you're, you're, in partaking of the bread, there's, there's a picture of a participation, communion we call it. And every believer is in communion with Christ and one another because we are many members of one body. And Paul's going to really get into that in the next chapter. I don't think, I don't think coincidentally. So look at, again at, at uh, verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body... Paul says, I don't want you doing this in an unworthy manner. I don't want you doing this without discerning the body. I think he's talking about the congregation there and that specific use of the term body. It's a way of saying you come together to love one another, to care for one another. And what is pictured in verses 20, 21, 22, that ain't happening. They're not discerning the body. Everybody's just kind of in their own world or in their own little cliques. There's no concern for the others. And Paul is saying there's serious consequences to this. There's serious consequences to not loving one another, not discerning the body, not making a distinction, understanding who and what the body is. So he says, verse 30, um, or, again, or verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Remember what he said early on, chapter 3 and chapter 6? Don't you know you're the temple of God? And whoever destroys God's temple, Paul said, him will God destroy. Now he's not talking about brick and mortar there, he's talking about people, the congregation. The people of God. And so he says in verse 30, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, truly we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. One more point there. And Paul is talking about being judged by the Lord here. At least in the case of genuine believers, it is not ultimately for your destruction. It is for your salvation. It is discipline. I mean, some of you are weak, some of you are ill, some of you have died. That's strong, isn't it? But if that's, I mean, no, know this may sound strange, but if that's what it takes to get you out of this world safely... I know it sounds strange, but the Lord will do it. Acts chapter five is an example, I think, of that. Ananias and Sapphira—they lied to the Holy Spirit. I don't—I can't tell you for sure if they were saved or lost, but I don't automatically assume that they were lost. They were messed up. They lied. They lied to to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit. Peter said, and he took them out of here, like that. Maybe, that's exactly what Paul has in mind here. He says, some of you are weak, some of you are ill, some of you have died. As a result of God's judgment, His discipline. Verse 32, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So, ultimately, what God has in view for us is salvation. Paul wants us to judge ourselves so that we don't fall under the judgment of God. Or the severe discipline of God. Although, even in that case, if you're truly a child of God, the ultimate end is your salvation. It's exactly what, <coughs> what Paul was, was uh, describing to the Corinthians back in, back in chapter 5. Concerning the brother um, who was committing incest. He said, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved. In the day of the Lord. So, verse 33, and we're about done here. So then, my brothers, when you come together, that is, when you come together as, as the church, as a congregation, for public worship in a public assembly, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Notice how he goes back to that. That's why I think that's what he has in view in verse 27. Because that's what he was criticizing them for in verses 19 and 20. 21, and now he comes right back to that. Up there, he says, you're not waiting on one another. One's hungry, the other's drunk. Here he says, brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Paul says, we'll move on now, (laughs) and we'll deal with the other things later. So the issue here, taking the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, I think what's behind that is loving one another. Again, notice how Paul points to their divisions, to their misbehavior. And then comes right back and says, don't do that. Wait on one another. Get this thing right. When you come together as a church, get it right. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. The Lord's Supper is a commemoration of His death. So looking forward to His coming. If somehow we've become the center of it, instead of Jesus, Paul is saying, let's straighten that out. Let's get Him back at the center let's let's judge ourselves let's examine ourselves and judge ourselves and get god's perspective on these things and love one another for the glory of God would you stand please don't forget the kids' skit tonight at six and and Danny uh, will be preaching tonight as well please be back for that and if you can we got some food in the back for lunch. If you can stay and eat, stay and eat with us. Um, and you know, we'll either eat it till it's gone, or or, uh, or whatever. You know, we'll get full, not in a hopefully not in a selfish way, right? But but uh, but together, <laughs> in love. All right. Uh, let's pray. Uh, David Moss, you mind lead us in a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana.